it takes more than arguing about self-documenting code to be a great engineer. This is episode 229 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I am your host, Jameson Dance. I am your host and self-documenting host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where we answer your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development. And just now I landed on a new technique to write self-documenting code. And what's that? Are you ready for it? Yeah. So you write your code. Uh-huh. And then you make a comment and you copy and paste the code into the comment <laughs> up above the code. <laughs> so the code is the documentation. Oh, perfect. And the comment never lies that way. No. It literally says exactly what the code does. Yeah, it does. It tells you everything you need to know about the execution of that code. Yes. It needs a name for that methodology. <laughs> Stupid? <laughs> <laughs> book learning programming <laughs> there's literate programming and this is like the less sophisticated street smart what's literate programming so i don't know this is the first answer but the second answer is on <laughs> wikipedia i've read that it is sort of like writing your code as a prose document with executable code kind of interspersed in between do you have like a rising action a climax and falling action an epilogue uh, yeah the hero's journey yeah. <laughs> of this request all the way to the database what if you were a master fiction author and then you pivoted your career into software development your code would be incredible bet you didn't see this plot twist coming it's a <laughs> fault <laughs> out of nowhere side effects <laughs> <laughs> bet yeah. you didn't see that array index out of bounds exception coming <laughs> what a plot twist now the cliffhanger <laughs> that's called the halting problem <laughs> <laughs> you just randomly jump to another function yep you can never tell what's going to happen next do you want to thank our patrons dave i do thank you so much to those that are contributing at the level where we shout them out every week on patreon they are oladapo fadiyi kiarance vainson ragnar hardison Alexander, microconfig.io nick travis sanders evgeny sladkowski dennis bogdanov Braden kane stephen armand lee john grant luke bayless philip john basile the agile ventures charity sean and vinlock if you would like to join this illustrious crew, you can go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. And if you do that, we'll give you access to our Slack community, which is just a fantastic place to come and chat and have some laughs with people who are like-minded software developers. And pretty good pretty good cross-section there of different disciplines too, I've noticed, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I learned stuff technically, culturally, learn all kinds of stuff from that group. Thank you. I'm going to read our first question. I encourage you to do so. Okay. I will accept the encouragement, though, even if I didn't <laughs> ask permission. This is from an anonymous listener. I have been working at a large tech company for two years now after graduating college. My job title is software engineer, but I have barely written any code on my job in the last two years. I'm on a product team that doesn't own any infrastructure, and when the product managers want us to build something, we find out which teams in the company own the infrastructure and stitch a product together. We often get pushback because usually the infrastructure we need to build belongs to some entirely different team who do not have stakes in the product we're building. I am worried that my coding skills are deteriorating since most of my time at work is not spent on coding. For example, meetings where people hash out how to do something in a system none of us are familiar with, <laughs> chasing down people in other teams to ask them to squeeze time out of their busy schedule to help my team, and completing process paperwork. On the rare occasion when I do make code changes, it's been copy-pasting another section of the code slash config and changing a few parameters. It seems to me that success in this job depends mostly on knowledge of the different internal systems, as well as the social capital of knowing people on different teams. Is this normal? Is this what software engineering is about? Oof. Wow. Okay. Can I just say this question asker is very perceptive. I mean, not just perceptive, but I would say tuned in to 
what success takes here, where where they say that the key to success here is knowledge of these other systems and social capital. In other words, influencing other teams to do stuff. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I work at a really large company. It's not quite like this, but I have noticed that you can get pretty far by knowing a lot about internal systems and knowing mm-hmm. who to ask other questions as well. I mean, if the graph of stuff you have to navigate is larger, knowing more about that graph will help you. Like at a startup, I'm trying to think back to it. I feel like my time was focused on the problem domain quite a bit yeah. and on like how to implement stuff in the problem domain. And here my time is focused a lot more on like how to use all the different tools to solve the problem domain. Ah, that is in and of itself a problem domain. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. Yeah, it actually, you're right. I have I have met a skill that I've noticed yes. that has developed where it's easier for me to explore this social graph and, and I find out faster who owns what thing and, and stuff like that. And then do you also have like a bank account of favors that you can call in to get things done? <laughs> uh, yeah, got my little black book. Yep. My Rolodex. <laughs> yep. I guess there's two ways that can go. Favors that you can call in, meaning you've done good things for people, or just knowledge that these other people would rather not have public. Yeah, skeletons <laughs> in the closet. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There is a level of cognitive overhead, and I've heard this called a big company tax for getting things done in big companies. Mm-hmm. And I definitely have felt that, where it's like, I could go do this, and if I was at a startup, I absolutely would, because there would be no one else to ask. Yeah. But instead, I'm going to have to go get on someone's calendar, convince them to shuffle their roadmap around for my benefit, and and boy, have I developed some techniques for doing this. <laughs> I just want to hear about those techniques. I don't want to tell you. It actually makes me sad to even think about it. <laughs> it's so true you lie awake at night thinking about the stuff you've had to do to get your (laughs) priority item on someone's q1 roadmap exactly exactly (laughs) am i still a good person (laughs) okay so as long as we're here let me just share one thing you know it it is true it is absolutely true that a commitment from a team member on a team that you don't belong to is not truly a commitment until you have the buy-in of the leadership chain of that person like it's it's a flimsy promise at best. And so yeah. I've I've developed techniques for solidifying those commitments up the chain. Aha. It's like, well, Bob said he would build this, but I'm gonna check with Bob's manager and yeah. Bob's manager's manager and Bob's director. <laughs> and I'm gonna get them to say it in writing. Anyway. But yeah, so <laughs> that is true. Is this what software engineering is about? That's the question. Yeah. Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> so the answer is yes and no. To me, I will give answers yes and no to this question. It depends on your tenure. So right out of college, a couple of years into your career, this is not what software engineering should be about. I think that the best way to spend your time in your first few years out of college is building a technical knowledge base, a foundation, if you will, to build on. But as you grow and your scope of responsibility increases, then yes, this is what software engineering is about. Yeah, when you're doing things that, affect larger groups of people or that you need it's it's more than just your own brain sitting down to figure out how to do yeah. it and this is where it gets really squishy because it's about convincing people it's about understanding politics and what other people want you know it's it's tricky but absolutely necessary to get big things done yeah i mean i i work at a very large company there is some amount of figuring out who to talk to and finding out the way that this specific problem is solved in this organization but most of my team's time is still spent like building stuff that, that yeah. we own. This sounds uniquely bad in that you yes. don't own anything. 
I agree. And then that's that's exactly true of my company as well, or of my, sorry, my immediate team. It's a big company, but uh, most of the people I work with directly uh, work on their own software, on their own products with control over their own destiny. But I do know of teams who don't actually own any software themselves, which sounds like that's what this listener is in, this kind of situation. You know, we don't own anything we build. We don't own the infrastructure. We spend our time convincing other teams to build what we need. Yeah, I can see why the incentives don't align here. Like, I don't know, maybe there's some team that owns a product that has a database and you're like, we don't have a database of our own. Let us piggyback yeah. off of your thing. And like, no, we don't want to be, resp- we don't want to get paged because our stuff is down because you right. wrote a bad query or something like that. Like, yeah. yeah, this is weird. This is hard. It is hard. It's super hard to manage. And it almost makes me think like you're you're turning into a glorified technical product manager where you have the technical chops to go interface with these other engineers on these other teams. Yeah. But really, you're just giving them requirements. Hmm. I mean, I agree with your concern that it is it is bad that your technical skills are not developing. I don't think all of those lost, though. I think it would be good for you to move to a role where you're more directly creating things. But you could probably be more effective in that role now because of the experience you've had where you've had to do a lot of investigating unfamiliar systems and getting yeah. groups of people to work together and stuff. So you sort of like skipped the first half of your career where you're figuring <laughs> out your technical knowledge yeah. base yep. and kind of like done it backwards and you've you've developed the the like architect or principal or manager skills, you know, yeah. but without the tech skills to back it up. So it's like when you, you're playing one of these video games where you have to like level up certain skills and you did things kind of out of order (laughs) yeah but it'll make it really easy to go back to the earlier levels and just dominate just like jump over all the bad guys yeah exactly (laughs) because you you press the jump button a million times (laughs) yeah i'm so good at jumping (laughs) did you ever play oblivion no never heard of it it's an elder scrolls rpg and the way that skills work in that game is you get more skilled at a thing by doing it Okay. And some of the skills are like running. So people would just <laughs> rubber band their controllers yeah. so that they, their character just runs around for a long time to yeah. level up running. It's like the easiest farming ever. <laughs> yeah, just like the most boring, soul-sucking grind in the universe. You can yeah. just go swim for 14 hours <laughs> to get faster at swimming. Nice. So that's what's happened here. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of large corporate jobs. That's right. We should make a video game where you're actually an employee at a large corporate job and you have to level up these skills. I think there's a game developer simulator. Oh, wow. But I don't think there's a corporate employee simulator. I guess the Stanley Parable is sort of like that a little bit. Nobody would play it, though, because they'd be like, I just got home from my big corporate job. I don't want to do this again for the evening. Yeah, but now you can act out your fantasy of like, I don't know, calling a meeting and everybody comes or... Whatever your wild dreams are. Everyone shows up on time. You're like, oh, your project is complete on time. (laughs) (laughs) These wild fantasies. This is a power fantasy, Dave. You ship a product, no bugs, customers love it. (laughs) No one's mad at you. Yeah. You're like, oh, I love this game so much. (laughs) Okay. So, what do you do? Here's my advice if I'm in this position two years into my career, I am definitely getting out. I think that at this point in your life, it would be so much more rewarding and fun to build your own stuff and build a technical foundation of knowledge and not just be out convincing other people. But like Jameson said, it's not a complete waste. You've definitely developed some skills that will be useful future in your career. So we haven't said how to get out. You can always quit your job. Mm -hmm. Always, always, always. That's the 
the underlying bedrock of all the advice <laughs> on this show. But do you think there's a way that the question asker can maneuver their current role into something more hands-on technical building things? Well, one thing you could do is all these other systems that you're supposed to go integrate with, instead of integrating with them, you could just re-implement them and then crowd out the other system and just say, look, we own that now. <laughs> yeah. You see this database cluster? That's my database cluster now. <laughs> you shouldn't have let my software onto your, <laughs> onto your machines. Oh, that's right. You already have a Trojan horse entry point. They're letting you put, like, build stuff. You could just be like, hey, I'm going to slip you some code. Just implement this. Don't worry about what it does. It changes all the permissions to their service so only your team can manage it. <laughs> Perfect. I'm a product team that doesn't own any infrastructure. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I don't have any insight into how infrastructure works at your at your company, but often the group that, that there's some kind of operations group that manages the underlying pool of infrastructure and then you get to run your stuff on it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not the weirdest thing in the world to run in an environment that you don't own completely. I mean, I guess DevOps is trying to encourage that ownership stack to go deeper but there are a lot of places where it it doesn't it feels more like you don't have the freedom to make your own decisions about how to build something yeah they say they have to stitch together like pieces of other people's products and and kind of piggyback off of them i guess this might be naive but what's to stop you from saying like the best way to implement this is to write a new service that does this thing or something like that you know and then write it <laughs> yeah and then write it <laughs> Well, nothing's to stop you from saying that. It might not be true, though. <laughs> Ideally, it would be true when you said it. I have another suggestion here, which is that one of the benefits of you getting to poke around in all this other code and interacting with all these other teams is you now have a really good vantage into how they operate and which ones would be good teams to work on. And mm. if one of them looks particularly appealing and cool, why don't you put in for an internal transfer and go join that team? That's true. I've seen that happen before where folks that worked closely together just ended up switching onto the same team. Could be fun. And it's a lot lower risk for you because you've seen how they operate. That's like a lowercase q quit your job. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're still technically changing jobs. Just right. not as big a deal. Well, I like it. Have we answered the question? I think so. At least good enough. Good enough. Okay. Do you want to read our next question, Dave? Sure. This one also comes from an anonymous listener who says, Hi there, love the show and your fun but useful answers. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> that should be an and. Right. <laughs> Why is that a but? <laughs> fun but useful. Sometimes useful and always fun. Okay. I have a career question and would love to hear what you think. I've been an engineer for several years and was recently asked if I'd like to move into product management. At first, this sounded great. I'd get to set the direction of the product, get involved with strategic planning and roadmap meetings, and generally have more input into my squad's work. The thing is, that isn't what it is at all. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, I am fielding requests from marketing and salespeople for sales collateral, sitting on customer calls and digging through dashboards to find enough, quote, evidence to prove why we should prioritize the backlog the way I have in mind. And I have even become the, quote, bad guy when the squad's ideas don't line up with the product team. Have I made a terrible mistake? Is product management really a good move for engineers? Man, being president sounds like a good job. Such a good job. Like you just go to the White House. Nobody can tell you what to do. <laughs> just do whatever you want all day. Uh huh. But really, it's work. <laughs> and lots of the work sucks. Yep. Yeah. I like this sentiment of, I thought I could just be in charge and do what I wanted, but it turns out that there are lots of demands on me. I think that's a pretty common sentiment. 
Yeah. It turns out convincing people is just as big a part of the job as as knowing the right thing to do in product management. Because ah, yes. there's a weird thing about product management where like lots of people will not call themselves product managers, but everybody has product ideas and nobody yeah. feels like they need some special qualification to have an idea <laughs> to be convinced that it's the right idea. Right. <laughs> That's like so engineering, true. I mean, yeah, people usually have some kind of qualification or experience if they want to contribute that way, but like everybody can use a thing and think of a way that it could be better. So you have a lot more people who can potentially help you or just tap you on the shoulder and try and tell you why they have to do, why you have to do their thing. That's true. And I think one of the um, big secrets of product management is that it really is, in my opinion, the hardest job of all the kind of horizontal functions that go into creating software. I think product management's the hardest. Why? Because they have to be able to interface with literally everyone in the rest of the company. This person already has called it out. They're getting pinged from sales and marketing. They have to interface with support. They have to interface with the executive teams. They have to do a lot of convincing. And that makes their job very hard because it's not just about deciding what to build and then building it and shipping it. It's about all the other stuff that goes into making that a reality. Yeah. I thought it was interesting digging through dashboards to find enough evidence to prove why we should prioritize the backlog the way I have in mind. I've seen this go poorly where in an environment of very low trust, because mm -hmm. you can always ask for more evidence. I don't think there's ever like a super 100% clear, absolute yeah. direction that's just self-evident from looking at the product. So true. So I've seen people get stuck in this loop of like someone disagrees Instead of saying, I disagree and hashing it out, they say, show me some data. And then, I don't know, there's some stuff you can't have data for. Like, yeah. you just got to have a judgment call at some point. So I, yep. I could see that being frustrating. Exactly. And if you don't give the data, then they can accuse you of not being data-driven. Yep, exactly, which is a cardinal sin. Uh -huh. You have to A-B test this new market somehow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do and don't go into this new market right. and then show the... <laughs> show the percentage conversion rate change. The beauty of that is every dollar you make, you can say with a very low p-value that that dollar was due to the treatment of going into the market. <laughs> yeah, I become the bad guy when the squad's ideas don't line up with the product team. What do they mean by you think the squad's ideas don't line up with the product team? I assume, isn't a squad from that Spotify thing? Oh, that's guilds, right? Squad is some like agilely Googling this. The individual teams that make up a company in agile management are known as squads. Is this safe? Squads, tribes, and guilds? This might be a safe thing. I don't know. Okay, so a squad is a Spotify thing, and it's like the cross-functional team that produces software together. So it would include the product manager and engineers and QA and UI designers. Okay. Sounds like you're set up to build Spotify. Perfect. You did it. <laughs> Copied their organization. Next comes the product. <laughs> Squad's ideas don't line up. I mean, I've, I've seen pretty, it, it feels like a pretty normal thing to have some push and pull between product and engineering, especially the more separate those are, if, if they're separate orgs, where products mm -hmm. might not have good insight into kind of technical debt or pain points. Engineering might not have customer data or the contact with salespeople. So there's, yeah, there's certainly some tension there. Product yeah. is naturally inclined to push for new shiny things over kind of like definitely over ripping things out and probably over making existing things better. Yeah. It sounds to me like this listener went into product management thinking it was one thing, which I think a lot of people think it is, and realized that it's actually so much more and now is wondering if they've made a big mistake. What do you think? Have they made a mistake? 
So it sounds like their goal for going into product management was having more influence over the direction of the product. And there's all this other stuff that has popped up, like sales and evidence and handling disagreements between product and, and engineering. But I think a question that would be useful to answer is, but even despite all that stuff, like, do I still have more influence over the product in a way that yeah. I want? Because maybe maybe this is the price you pay to get that thing. Sometimes you deal with other stuff too. Right. It's a good point. If you don't, then it sounds way worse. <laughs> but <laughs> if you if you do, like, yeah, this is what it takes to influence the product. You got to convince people that you're right and and kind of resolve conflicts when people disagree with you and That's a fair uh, point. handle sales because it turns out that people they want to sell the things so they get giant commissions and product helps that. And yeah. So I've seen two examples of people in their careers as engineers who wanted to have more control over something and more influence over something and found that it the best way for them to do that was to get adjacent to the role that they thought might have more control. Let me give let me give two examples. So the first one is actually an example of a product manager. This was an engineer working on a team at a company I worked at and we thought this person would be a great product manager. And so we offered that to them and they said, "Okay, but I'm only doing it for 6 months." You know, I'm interested in the idea of having more influence over this product. That sounds great. So six month trial period, and then we'll see how it went. Well, after six months, the engineer said, nope, I want to go back to being an engineer. And we respected that. And I think they discovered that really as an engineer, and in this case, more of like a team lead engineer role, they actually had more influence over the project, not necessarily more than the product manager, but enough to mm -hmm. satisfy their desire while not having to deal with like the 80% stuff, stuff that a product manager does that they didn't want to do. So that was, yeah. that was the first example of getting adjacent to the role. So it was more of like a tech lead role than a product manager. The second example is a friend of mine who loves having influence over engineering teams and building great culture, but hates management. They also tried becoming a manager and after a few months said, I don't want to do this and have since built a fantastic career as a manager's partner, still officially only in the role of a technical lead for the team. So they're still an engineer. They're mm -hmm. not in management, but they have had such positive impact on several teams that I've observed them on where they fix things like culture problems, they've helped resolve conflicts that normally you would think is only a manager's job, but they love it because they don't have all the management responsibility, but they can still influence the team. So I think sometimes when you want to have influence over an area, you might be surprised to learn that getting adjacent to the official role is actually more beneficial than being in that official role. I think we've talked about this before, but there's this thing that happens when you're an engineer and you contribute to the product where you get lots of kudos sometimes because uh -huh. people don't always expect it. If they've kind of got this model of what engineering is like in their head and then suddenly you want to meet with customers or something, then right. that that's awesome. Oh, an engineer who's super interested in product and you're doing such a great job. And then if you move into where that's your job, you don't get the kudos yeah. as much anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're like, wow, you're a really terrible product manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can you can be doing the same amount of quality impact on the product, but it, like the expectations are a lot different. Yeah, so expectations management. Set yourself up to where failure looks pretty good. Yeah. This also reminds me of the question we talked about last week about becoming, there's somebody who who was trying to move into this tech lead role but wasn't given the title and the raise. Yeah. And I think we, we ended up talking a lot about this idea of a trial period where you kind of try it out so it's easy to back out. And too late, but wouldn't it be great if this was a trial period yeah. <laughs> in product management? <laughs> so you could say, actually, I don't like this. That would be great. Once again, it all comes to time travel. I mean, so many of our answers yeah. 
Just go back in time and do it different. Yeah, that would solve a lot of problems. And introduce some amazing paradoxes we never saw coming. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I would like to be the agile time traveling consultant. How's that? What do you mean? Oh, I don't know. Just make money by saying nonsense, but it's related to time travel somehow. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> keeping time keeping time travel within uh, the time boxes. Yeah, or like, I don't know, going back and tweaking the sprint commitment. If you're a hardcore scrum group, mm -hmm. look like you always hit your numbers. By going back in time and telling you what to commit to. Is that the dumbest use of time travel you could possibly think of? Yeah. It feels like it is. <laughs> I want to time travel just so I can go adjust this field in Jira. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else will change. The only thing that will change is I'll be able to say I hit all my commitments by shrinking yeah. the denominator. Surely that couldn't have any unforeseen consequences. Yeah, probably not. I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's safe. I mean, if time travel movies have taught me anything, you can make small changes and not have huge impacts on the future. <laughs> yep. Okay. I think I've used up all my brain power on this question. Okay. <laughs> You got anything else? I mean, I would say it's probably time to get out. It sounds like this is not what you wanted to do. And you jumped into this job without knowing what it really involved. And I would probably bail out. I think you can achieve your goals outside of the product management realm. And now you know. Yep. I have seen lots of engineers become successful product managers, so it's not impossible. They are good. And they do tend to be the favorite product managers that the other engineers have ever worked with. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you say that before, but also I... I I know some folks who have gone into it and really enjoy it. Yeah, it can be a very viable thing, but it kind of takes a special special personality that's a little more rare in engineering. I like this bold direction that you've set, Dave, of of explicitly recommending doing a thing instead of saying it depends. And I'm going to increase the contrast by saying it depends and being okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think you should look at if it's achieving your goals or not. And if it's not, then do a different thing. But if it is... Yep. Just keep going. You might also, I mean, this this is a dangerous road if it doesn't work out, but you might also try be going into product management at a different company because product mm. management varies a lot from company to company. Yeah. All right. Now we've answered the question. Okay. Good work. Good work, team. Yeah. You did great. What can people do if they want their own questions answered? Go over to softskills.audio in the World Wide Web and click on ask a question. We've got a little form you can fill out there. Thanks so much to everyone who has done that. We really appreciate all the questions we get. One day, we will get to all of them. Although, mm -hmm. at the current rate, that will never happen. So you have to slow down. <laughs> or we'll have to speed up. This is like the countable versus uncountable infinities. Okay, how so? For every episode, we get like an uncountable number of questions? Yeah, there's just, they're, they're both, we will do the show forever and we will get questions forever. But currently, we have more infinity questions yes. than infinity show time. Yes, that's right. All right. Think about that, I guess. The next <laughs> That's week. your homework. I'll, I'll leave you to ponder that. We'll catch you next week. Bye.